Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Good morning, friends. Lovely to see you. Uh, my lovely wife sends her love. Um, she's in um, Stafford. She's at Dreaming the Impossible. I was there this morning and I drove. And uh, she's not camping. She doesn't do camping. Camping and Rosie don't go in the same sentence. <laughs> so we're, we're staying off site. But we're on team. So we're on the um, equip team, which means we're around helping young people get confident, praying for each other. So we don't do much praying. We just encourage the young people to pray. And it's been a lot of fun. It's only just started. It just started last night, first session. And in the first session, uh, somewhere close to 40 young people said yes to Jesus for the first time. Woo! And about 70, about 70 children, uh, 70 of the young people came forward just to recommit their lives to following Jesus. So God is already doing wonderful things. And we feel really privileged that we get to be part of what God is doing. Also, thank you, team. Uh, many of you chose to be generous. Um, a few weeks ago we invited church here to give towards Dreaming the Impossible and uh, we took up an offering from our different sites and we gave close to £33,000 from Birmingham Vineyard on top of our normal giving because we actually support DTI from our core tithes and offerings but it was an additional gift and your generosity is making it happen. So thank you team. Woo! Good stuff. It's, it's quite moving when you see you know, three and a half thousand young people having a great time and God is on the move. So uh, that's what we're praying for. Uh, we're looking in the book of James. In fact, I'm going to have a, a lot of standing and sitting. Can we stand together just for a moment as we pray before uh, reading God's word together? God's word is written in love and it's written from our Father in heaven to us to do life well. And I would love us just to prepare our hearts that we would receive God's word into them and that his love and his wisdom and encouragement would land in our souls this morning. That's my prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's given in love for us to thrive. And I pray that you would speak to each of us through your word today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Brilliant stuff. Thank you, friends. You can take your seats, at least for a minute. <laughs> um, if I haven't had a chance to personally greet you yet, then I just want to say you're very welcome here. Uh, Rosie and I are privileged to be the team leaders of this church with us, uh, senior pastors. And normally Cap and Joe are the site pastors here. They're on holiday, like many other folks are on holiday. Uh, but if you're in the room for the first time, you're very welcome. If you're joining us online for the first time, it's, it's just good to have you with us. But if you're a regular, I'm really glad you're here as well. We're excited because today we're starting a new series in the book of James. Now, the book of James is in the New Testament and it describes the lifestyle of a mature disciple. It's rapid fire wisdom and James bounces from topic to topic. The big influences in the book of James are the words of Jesus, often from the Sermon on the Mount, and the wisdom writings, so things like the book of Proverbs. So wisdom is a big theme that we see emerging in this book, the book of James. We're going to be in James for the next few weeks. Wisdom is really essentially seeing life as God sees it. And who is James, I hear you ask? Well, I didn't actually hear you, but I'm going to say it anyway. Well, James is the brother of Jesus. He literally grew up with Jesus in his family. He wasn't actually a follower of Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry, which is interesting. He, did what he wasn't part of the disciple call. But after the resurrection, everything changed for James. And he became a follower of Jesus 
And this book was written about 15 or 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. So it's one of the earlier books in the New Testament. Now James was centred in Jerusalem where the church started from. And he became the primary leader, the sort of the overall leader in that Jerusalem church. And ultimately he was martyred in Jerusalem by being stoned to death um, about AD 62 or 69. So that's James. And he starts off this letter, James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. He's writing to twelve tribes, an unusual phrase. That's the way the people of God were described about in the Old Testament. So it's not written to a particular church in a particular city addressing particular localised challenges. Most of the New Testament letters are like that, the book of Corinthians, Ephesians. It's not one of those. This is like a circular letter going out further to believers everywhere. It's written to believers scattered through the Roman Empire and believers everywhere by his spirit. So these opening sections that we come to today deal with some of the biggest challenges that you and I will ever face if we're wanting to follow Jesus. Testings, and trials. Let's look at today's passage. I'm going to read verses 2 to 5 and then jump down to verse 12 and it'll be on the screen. You can follow it in your Bibles or if you need the notes as they mentioned you can take them. Consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Jumping down to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, oh, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. I think what God's word is saying is that trials are inevitable, but growth is optional. (laughs) Trials are inevitable, but growth is optional. James is honest and realistic in acknowledging the reality of trials and testings in life and in our faith. And he's also brutally honest about the reality of temptation and the consequences of our choices. I think it's no mistake that he speaks about temptation in the midst of a passage about trials. Because under pressure, we're at a higher risk of making dumb choices that can ultimately damage us. That's the truth, friends. Look at the specifics in this passage from verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That last few words there, trials of many kinds. I think James has got a whole lot of trials in mind when he's writing this letter to scattered believers. As you scan through the book, and we'll discover this in the next few weeks, it's clear that some of the trials that the readers might be facing were poverty, injustice, discrimination, conflict, there was sickness and grief. But James keeps the language general because he wants to speak about all kinds of trials, trials of many kinds, they include us all. In a precious 
church family as wonderful and diverse as ours, there are always people experiencing trials. Some are more visible, but some are very private. Maybe the death of someone precious to you. Maybe you're caring for a terminally ill family member. Maybe there's a trial of mental health or financial pressure or the sadness of being far from family that you love. Maybe there's relational breakdown or a complexity in parenting. Trials of many kinds. Trials are normal and they're not unexpected freak occurrences. They're sadly part of the regular Christian life. They can be prolonged, they can be painful. And if you're not in one now, be thankful and rejoice. But the honest truth is, they will come. They will come. One feature of trials is they can often be all-consuming for us. It can be hard to think about anything else when in the midst of a trial it can feel overwhelming. We can often get utterly absorbed by what we're going through. And it can seem impossible to look beyond the immediacy of the pain in order to see anything else. It just feels all-consuming. It's even possible to become desensitised to the pain and story of others because suffering can turn us in on ourselves. That's one of the risks. During times of of intense pain, it's common to to feel a sense of disorientation, to, to lose our bearings. Paralysis, not knowing what to do or where to turn. Trials and confusion can often go together. So trials will affect all of us. And trials can produce very different outcomes for those that endure them. The contrast is really set out in this chapter. One of the options is that through those deeply painful trials, we can actually become aware of the presence of God, maybe in a different kind of way than we've never understood or discovered when it's been peacetime. His sustaining presence, strength for the day, strength in a time of weakness, and those things can actually result in a growth in our character. Look at verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Say perseverance. Perseverance. Let, let pers- I hate that word. <laughs> it means you've got to keep going when it's tough. Perseverance, let it finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The step to maturity and completion is this pathway of perseverance. Let me just speak about the challenge of suffering for a moment. Every one of us will have to face suffering and loss. And inevitably, we ask those deep questions like, where is God? Why is this happening? You might be in one of those moments right now. Do you know, every worldview has to face the question of suffering and loss. I chat to people who might have objections about the Christian faith. They say, oh, I can't have a faith in God because what about suffering and what about loss? Well, for the atheist who hasn't got a worldview that includes God, when you abolish the possibility of God, you don't abolish the problem of pain. If you take God out of the equation, you still have suffering. But the pain and apparent meaningless are present and so is a sense of deep aloneness. What's the answer if you have an atheistic worldview? Well, there's no solution. It's just random. Get on with it. Suck it up. No overarching purpose, no comfort or help from a divine source. Dr. Alistair McGrath, he's the professor of science and religion at the University of Oxford. Very clever and bright apologist and writer. And he talks eloquently about suffering. I'm going to just read this quote. It's quite a long quote, but I found it helpful, and you might too. Suffering, this is him speaking, Dr. Alistair McGrath, the professor, suffering brings home to us the distressing fact of our mortality. Too easily ignored. It reminds us of our frailty and hints of 
the coming of death. And as C.S. Lewis said, it removes the veil and it plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. In short, suffering creates a climate in which our thoughts are gently directed towards eternal things, towards God, who we might otherwise ignore. And as C.S. Lewis famously said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. It is megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Painful though that point by C.S. Lewis may be, there's enough truth in it to take it seriously. All must die, and any worldview which cannot cope with death is fatally deficient. Suffering gently prods our conscience and forces us to contemplate the unpalatable but real fact of our future death. And how our outlook on life relates to that sobering reality. It can sow the seeds of doubt within our existing outlooks and framework and lay the foundation for a new way of thinking, living and hoping. Friends, when pain and suffering come upon us, we, we finally see that not only were we not in control, but we never were. <laughs> we're not in control. It's just not how it is. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. It's harsh, isn't it? Consider it. That's a strange word in that bit in James. It's translated from a word that means to rule. Consider literally comes from a word to rule or to govern or lead. So it's like James is saying, rule, govern or lead over your situation in a moment of trial that has a joy outcome. James is actually saying, I want you to think about your trials in a certain way. How are we going to consider, to use that language, consider it with pure joy? That's not an easy thing to do. It's worth, it's worth noting that James is not saying, this is how you should feel. He's saying, how I want you to think. Consider something this way. Don't pretend the trial you're facing is fun. That's not helpful. Jesus doesn't say, put on your happy face and pretend nothing's happening. He doesn't say that. But there's a point of view that we're invited to adopt in the midst of a trial time. A particular way to consider what's going on. A mindset, if you like. James is saying, can you embrace a mindset in the midst of a trial that will help you navigate it? I think the mindset that we bring to seasons of pressure is really critical. Because one of the battles is how we think in times of testing and trial. Because it's very easy to think, God doesn't love me. God's abandoned me. He's punishing me. All sorts of thoughts that can go on in our heads in a trial. I mean, am I talking to anybody being honest here? Is that, those things can happen when we're in a trial time. And James is saying, hey, listen, the way you think about the trial is going to be very helpful. Consider it pure joy. Let me just offer three perspectives, three ways to think about trials. God is growing us through our trials. God is present with us in our trials. And God will deliver us from our trials. In verses 3 and 4, the essence of the invitation is to persevere. It's the word you set out with me. Trials are those situations where it's not easy to keep going. We can only keep going with a measure of determination and with the help of God. We can't actually get to spiritual maturity without enduring through trials. God somehow is growing us through our trials. I wish there was a different route, but it seems to be one of the ways of God. So the, so the experience of suffering or questions or doubts or setbacks or pain can actually be a way that God strengthens and forms us as his followers. Just think about an illustration, if you will. We understand the principle of testing and strain producing strength in other realms of life. It's a bit like a muscle in the human body. As it works, it grows. 
If you go to the gym and you start a course of physiotherapy, you have to do something to exercise, don't you? Somebody else, somebody else grab one of these for me. Anybody else want a bit of exercise this morning? Who's going to grab one? Come on. You can. <laughs> I'm not going to be the only one doing some work here. So, so how it works, in, let's, do some, let's do some kind of curls. Way, come on. Let's keep going, shall we? What else can we, how, how long can we hold it out for? Oh, that's going to kill us. No, that's going to be too much. <laughs> you can hold it out while I keep talking. How about that? <laughs> but you know, thank you so much. That's great. Let's pop it down. Do you know, we know, we know don't we, that in the realm of um, a muscle has to be exercised at a level just beyond what it's used to. Now, if I gave this to some people in the room, they're so hence, they'd just go, that's nothing for me. <laughs> but for others, this would be like, oh my gosh, to do one of those is pushing it. It's pushing it. When I first got these, it was pushing it. But it's okay now. I've worked it a bit. <laughs> you know, when we, when we think about exercise, we, uh, and physiotherapy, looking to my physiotherapist over here, where's his physio, um, a muscle has to be exercised at a level just beyond what it's used to handling for training and growth to occur. And over time, that muscle being exercised will gradually adapt to the overload and they will establish a new baseline that is normal that was clearly stronger than before. That's what happens during the process of exercise. If you overwork it, you do damage, but if you underwork it, you don't get growth. If it's enough strain, then it can produce the desired result. It can actually produce growth. I think we get that in the natural realm about physical exercise. I think that's a bit of what James is saying here. The testing of your faith, that stretch, that kind of testing your faith in a moment can actually produce perseverance. Let perseverance continue its work so that you can be mature, complete, not lacking anything. So God is growing us somehow through our trials, but God is present with us in our trials. Hardship is not some interruption, but it's a reality in life. We only really have a couple of choices when we're in the midst of a trial. We can either run away from God or run to him with our pain, question and confusions. In those times of pain, we can just get stuck in a in a sort of a bit of a pit, or we can go, God, I've got all this churn, these questions, this uncertainty, but I'm going to bring it to you. Some of the biggest life lessons and the best qualities come from the worst times in life. I want you to think for a minute about some of the mature people in this room or the mature people that are in your life who've got Christ-like character. Maybe somebody you treasure as an example or an influence for you. Think about some of the qualities that they embody, some of the things that you love about them. Those Christ-like qualities of gentleness and endurance and confidence in the goodness of God. Let me just give you an honest insight. Those qualities were not formed when life was easy. Doesn't work that way, friends. When I think about the people in my life who represent maturity, they represent godly character, they represent a Christ-like full of the Holy Spirit, fruits of the Spirit in all seasons and all circumstances. They've walked through more pain, challenges and setbacks than I've ever experienced in my 50 years yet. And often their understanding of God grew more through the painful seasons, through the easy seasons. We understand that, don't we, friends? I think we get that. Do you know, the truth is that we're much more likely to respect and trust a person who's actually come through the other side of adversity than we are for a person who's had everything easy. Somebody who's had everything easy in life and it's all been a dream and they spurt out some wisdom. You think, ah, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I think that sometimes because you you've not experienced anything. But someone who's navigated pain, heartache, setback 
and they're faithful and still following God, there's an authenticity and a depth and a quality to their counsel because they've lived it. Am I making sense, friends? But it's hard for us when we find ourselves in a trial to think, okay, I'm going to consider this pure joy because this is part of me being formed. There are qualities that God's going to grow in me through this if I respond well, if I bring my pain, my questions to Jesus and don't run away from him. Then this could be a redemptive moment that things are going to form in me that never would have formed if I didn't embrace this well. You see, the presence of trials isn't a sign that something's wrong with your faith. Some people have this idea that if you've got enough faith, you'll be just bounding from mountaintop to mountaintop and it'll be great. That's nonsense. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said the wise and foolish builders built their house and the storms came to both of them. Stuff kicks off in life and it's not a sign of your lack of faith or being unbelieving. It's sometimes just life. For me, those moments of trials and pain and challenge and stretched times and things that have been uncertain have actually been moments to... I look back, I didn't like it at the time, but I look back and think there are things I've learned about what it is to see God's grace in the midst of weakness or his sustaining power in the midst of trial or his peace in the midst of storms that I never would have got and then when I face the next trial I'm a little more confident in the goodness of God because he's got me through a bunch of stuff already a little less overwhelmed by the anxiety and stress that might try and cascade over my soul I can think no what I'm going to stand on some solid ground God's been faithful he'll be faithful here as well a little bit of a stretching a little bit of a workout that's helped me grow in my confidence of God's goodness you know, and there's no character in the Bible probably who got suffering more than Job. And Job said this, but he knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure gold, is what Job said. And we can discover that suffering can refine us rather than destroy us because God himself walks with us in the fire. He's with us in the refining process. That's what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego realized in Daniel chapter 3, that Jesus was with them in the fire. The Christian author Tim Keller, how many of you have heard of Tim Keller, the Christian author? Yeah, well, he recently was promoted to glory. He passed away. And whilst battling terminal cancer, he said this, one of the main ways we move from an abstract knowledge about God to a personal encounter with God is living through the reality of the furnace of affliction. Just because you can't see or imagine a good reason why God would allow something bad to happen doesn't mean there can't be one. That was his words battling cancer before he was promoted to glory. So the next thing you see is that God will deliver us from our trials. Just, we think about the horrors of the Ukraine war and I, and I watch on and I think, my goodness, the sacrifice and the endurance of the soldiers. They fight towards the end of a long war, sustained by the hope that at some time in the future there will be some kind of peace within their land again and they'll be re reunited with family and friends. And so they have that hope that fuels them on. They continue their sacrifice in the midst of trials because they've got a future hope. So we are like that. We have a pilgrimage sustained by our knowledge and joy that Jesus will be present with us. We hold on to the hope in our trials that the resurrection of Jesus speaks about a new story. Jesus risen from the dead speaks about a new order that's going to come into the whole of creation and Jesus is going to come and make all things new. He'll wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order has passed away, Revelation 21. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he's in a tough time, talks about this future hope giving him a sense of perspective in the now. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed 
day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. The goodness of God. Since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. So I think how we respond is really important. God is growing us through our trials. God is present with us in our trials and God will deliver us from our trials. Just the last few minutes, I want to just look at a quick little video. Maybe you've seen this little video. It's a, it's a little testing game about kids, the marshmallow experiment. I'll just let you, I think it's explained on the video, but just watch this for a minute and I'll ask you a couple of questions. It's quite cute. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one. So then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. That's going to carry on for a minute. While, while it's watching, while it's just playing in the background, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, would you be the kid that would have waited or would you have munched it? Right, and if you, and if you had to have a strategy point. to kind of delay that, okay. what, what would you have done to kind of not eat the marshmallows? So chat to the person next to you. Would you be the kid that would have had it or would you waited? Back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. We'll stop it there. We'll stop. <laughs> I could watch that all day. Those kids are so cute. <laughs> I don't know how many of you were that kind of, I'll just take it there or I'll kind of wait. It's, it was a test. It's been challenged, but it's, a, it's an interesting test about delayed gratification and uh, the kind of the qualities that you can kind of cultivate in life. Anyway, um, bring it back to the Bible. There's some sense in that story in a minute. The next bit is that trials happen. We've seen that from what James says. But the last thing I want to mention is this, that in the midst of trials, the truth is James is warning us that temptation increases. Our way of coping in times of pressure is put in the spotlight when there's a trial. You and I can turn to some unhelpful, dysfunctional coping strategies when the pressure is on. And the invitation is to bring our hearts and lives to God in an authentic way. And that's when James says this, when tempted, no one should say God's tempting me because God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. You know, the kids that manage to not kind of eat the marshmallow in the moment 
but wait. Um, good qualities of delayed gratification, self-control. Some of the ways that they did that best, they spotted the kids. Is the kids that just literally, if they, if they stared at it and picked it up and tasted it, they were doomed. <laughs> they were going to munch that thing. But if they just pretended it wasn't there or started to count ceiling tiles or focus somewhere else and just like didn't even look at it and just thought, I'm going to count these strips of lights on the wall and what else is going on? The, the shifting focus helped them with that thing that was present before them, so appealing, so tempting. Rick Warren talks about how to resist temptation and he describes it really well. Here's the secret. Don't fight it, just refocus. The key to overcoming temptation is not to push back, it's to change your focus. Whatever gets your attention gets you. If you focus on godly things, they'll pull you in a godly direction. If you focus on the stuff you see on TV, on social media, they'll pull you in another direction. Whatever you focus on gets your attention. Whatever gets your attention is going to get you. Temptation always follows a predictable pattern. Attention, arousal and action. Your mind gets hooked, your feelings kick in and then you act on it. So don't fight a temptation, just turn your mind to something else. You can't always control your circumstances and you can't always control the way you feel, but you can control what you think about. That's our choice. And if you change the way you think, I think it can change the way you feel and that can change the way you act. Final things in this. Look at the language that James uses. Birth is mentioned twice. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Birth is used twice in that passage. Anyone acting on, acting on sin, it's never the end. You know, when we act on something, it takes on a life of its own. It's kind of given birth to something that grows in us. It can be a way of handling a pressure or a, or a kind of a, a coping strategy. But if we're not careful, that pattern grows a life of its own and it takes root in our soul. It's very easy under pressure to make a life choice that's ungodly or unhelpful. And they can easily form a new habit that takes root in a destructive way. Habits are like trees that are strengthened by age. A child can bend an oak tree sapling, but when it's established, you couldn't get 100 people to shift it because you're not going to shift that thing. Verse 12 to finish, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because there's a promise. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I'm conscious that as we look at a subject um, so raw and so real as this, there are many in the room that could be in the midst of a trial. And in the midst of a trial, there could be all sorts of questions, challenges, and temptations that are increasing for you. There are others that are not in that place and, and the invitation is to have empathy and concern and comfort for those in our family who are in a place of trial. But I'd love us to pause and bring ourselves as we are to God and welcome his presence amongst us. So should we stand together? We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.